Shalom, and welcome to the Union of Messianic Jewish Congregations weekly Torah commentary series. I'm Rabbi Russ Resnick, UMJC Rabbinic Council, and this week we're discussing Parashat Bereshit, which begins at Genesis 1-1. We've entered a new year and a new round of Torah readings, a good time to recalibrate our lives. But what measure can we use to recalibrate? I can't think of a better measure than the account of creation in the opening chapters of the Torah. The dominant culture today tempts us to measure our lives by things we think we need, like self-aggrandizement, material stuff, power, entertainment, and pleasure. In contrast, the account of creation reveals three God-instilled human needs that shape our lives. The need to contribute, the need to connect, and the need to experience awe. First, contribution. The Torah reveals a creation that's dynamic and very good, but it's not static and perfect. A creation that that needs human contribution to reach its goal. As it says, then God said, let us make man, Adam, in our image after our likeness. Let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the flying creatures of the sky, over the livestock, over the whole earth, and over every crawling creature that crawls on the land. God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the land and conquer it. Rule over the fish of the sea, the flying creatures of the sky, and over every animal that crawls on the land. Genesis 1, 26 through 28, and I'll be uh, citing the TLV and all my scripture references. God makes Adam, humankind, in his own image. And the first element of divine image bearing that's mentioned here is rule. It's mentioned twice in the passage I just read. It's a rule that must be exercised, as it says, and conquer it. Clearly, there's work, challenging work for the humans within this very good creation. The search for mere happiness, which is so popular in our postmodern world, is a losing proposition. When the first man was placed in the garden soon after creation, before he had any time to wander from God's purposes, he already had work to do, to cultivate and to watch over it. One of the most influential books of the last century was Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl, a a, uh, Viennese psychotherapist who survived the Nazi death camps. Frankl believed that human beings need meaning above all else, and that meaning is found in contribution. He writes, everyone has his own specific vocation or mission in life a concrete assignment which requires fulfillment. Therein he cannot be replaced, nor can his life be repeated. End quote. Carrying out this assignment, even in the hell of the camps, provides meaning that sustains life. Our need for uh, meaning isn't in the abstract, but it's for something significant to do, something to contribute a garden to cultivate. It's the opposite of the consumer culture of today, which gives rise to unprecedented 
levels of anxiety and despair. We see this theme of contribution throughout the Bible, the need not only to receive from God, but to act in response, culminating in Yeshua's call, follow me. Second, connection. Then Adonai Elohim said, it is not good for the man to be alone. Let me make a well-matched helper for him. Genesis 2.18. Marriage is the original not alone relationship, and it's foundational to all the rest of our relationships. Adonai Elohim built the rib, which he had taken from the man, into a woman. Then he brought her to the man. Then the man said, This one at last is bone of my bones and flesh from my flesh. This one is called woman, for from man was taken this one. This is why a man leaves his father and his mother and clings to his wife, and they become one flesh. Genesis 22-24 This account pictures a uh, primal triangle of God, man, woman, which applies to every marriage thereafter, as Messiah Yeshua intimates in his response to a question about divorce. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. Matthew 19, 6. Marriage is covenantal and holy, not a means to an end, but an end in itself. But our human need for connection is even broader than marriage. The capacity for connection, for intimacy and empathy on which marriage rests, is part of our divine image-bearing humanity. We are made for relationship and community, even if we never marry. Accordingly, Messiah Yeshua pictures the greatest expression of love, excuse me, not within marital union, but within friendship saying, no one has greater love than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. John 15, 13. The capacity created in the two shall become one isn't limited to marital intimacy then, but empowers true friendship, which also defines and fulfills our humanness. Friendship, like marriage, involves the discovery that we are not alone. As C.S. Lewis writes in The Four Loves, friendship is born at the moment when one man says to another, What? You too? I thought that no one but myself. Ironically, amid an expanding global population and unprecedented levels of communication and information flow, isolation is a major challenge around the world. In my own locality, I counsel some guys who have no friends or close family at all so that our hour together might be the only real human connection they get all week. Such isolation often leads to and in turn results from depression and and addiction, which some characterize as a disease of isolation. The good news is that God created us with not only the need but also the ability for connection. Which leads to our third foundational need, awe. In Genesis 3, And they heard the sound of of Adonai Elohim going to and fro in the garden in the wind of the day. 
So the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of Adonai Elohim in the midst of the tree of the garden. Then Adonai Elohim called to the man, and he said to him, Where are you? Then he said, Your sound. I heard it in the garden, and I was afraid. Genesis 3, 8 through 10. Afraid, the same Hebrew word can be translated as awe or reverence. By awe, I mean awareness of something or someone so beyond ourselves that all our categories, preconceptions, and self-centered drives simply fall away. Our defenses collapse. Awe entails a sense of being in the presence of something totally other, totally beyond my little self. And it entails a fear of transgressing this one. As John Levinson writes in The Love of God, there surely is a tinge of fear in the negative sense, even in the reverence, the awe, or the sense of being overwhelmed that one has in the presence of a superior. And if the description of God in the Bible is at all accurate, there would be something gravely wrong with someone in whom the thought of God and the sense of his immediate presence did not evoke those very feelings. End of quote. Awe entails fear then. But of course it goes far beyond that. Still, fear is part of loving God and is actually recommended by Messiah Yeshua. He says, do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Instead, fear the one who is able to destroy both soul and body in Gehenna. Matthew 10, 28. So according to the master, the fear of God frees us from all other fears. Levinson is right then when he says, in biblical thinking, the love of God and the fear of God can and should coexist. As we pray in the morning liturgy, unify our hearts to love and fear your name. Our deepest need, though, isn't for fear, but for awe itself. The awareness that we live constantly in the presence of one far beyond ourselves. Adam's fear is part of his greater awe in the presence of the Lord God who went to and fro in the garden in the wind of the day. Contribution, connection, and awe. We might remember these three primal needs as the need to build, to bond, and to bow. All three are instilled by God from the beginning, and all three are finally met in the God who created us. This is Rabbi Russ Resnick signing off and wishing you Shabbat Shalom. For more commentaries like this one, visit umjc.org slash commentaries.